great. It's beginning to look a lot like Christmas, but uh, it's not quite yet. And so we're going to go ahead and dismiss our, our kids for True Fire Clubs if they want to meet their teachers out in the lobby. Parents, if you haven't checked them in yet, please make sure you stop uh, now at the table and get them checked in and uh, use that sticker to pick them up after the service uh, here in a little bit. We actually are not getting into our Christmas series today because Advent kind of falls um, a little bit different this year. It starts next Sunday, and so we're going to be talking about beyond December starting next Sunday morning. Uh, but today, we're actually going to talk about finding God's will. Finding God's will. How many of you want to find God's will? Okay, good. A couple of you at least. Good. So then I'll, I'll talk to them. And uh, so bizarre, these things pop up on your screen. It's just um, interesting. So anyway, um, if you've got a Bible, open up to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. We're going to be there in just a second. And uh, probably as a pastor, one of the things that you're asked the most is this question. What is God's will for me? Um, or what's God's will for the earth? Or what's God's will? And generally when people come and ask that question, what they're really asking is something like, well, who, who should I marry or what job should I take or uh, what college should I attend or what decision? You know, here's two decisions. I don't know which one is God's will. And some people are of the belief that there's this one will of God that you, if you make the wrong decision, then you are out of the will of God forever, and it's so much terrible things are going to happen, and there's so much pressure on that one decision. And while I understand, as believers, we want to keep in step with the Spirit, and we want to make decisions based on God's will, I don't know that every decision that we make in life is actually going to throw God's plans out the window. In fact, God promised that even when we make a wrong decision, that he's already worked that into his plan because he knew we were going to make that wrong decision. Now, that doesn't advise making wrong decisions because a lot of times that becomes more costly for us in the long run than if we would have made the decision God wanted all along. Some decisions that God wants us to make are pretty clear, black and white in Scripture. And so when we ask questions, sometimes people will come to me and say, hey, Pastor Tom, help me discern God's will for this. And here's the thing. I can't really discern God's will for you. I mean, if it's clear in Scripture, you know, I can, I can tell you what the Scripture says, but if it's not clear in Scripture, all I can give you is maybe what I feel like the Spirit prompting me, but here's the thing. I'll pray with you so God makes his will known to you. As Americans, we tend to choose the path of least resistance. And sometimes when people ask the question, well, what is God's will? It really stems from a desire to please God. They want to give their lives fully to God. They want to please him. But a lot of times it's just because, you know, they, it's not that they want to live their lives fully for God. They just want, you know, what's going to be best for them. And I, if I do what God asks, I'm going to be blessed. So I want to do that thing because I want to be blessed. And so it really doesn't stem from that kind of a desire. Sometimes it just stems from a desire to get something from God. As Americans, again, this idea is just so ingrained into us. When we're faced with a decision, we automatically assume the decision that's better for us must be God's will. I mean, if there's a job that offers more money and, you know, it better benefits, well, that surely must be God because God is always bigger and better. I mean, he would never tell us to take a job that pays less money. And yet we have the history of the assemblies of God where we had missionaries that packed all their belongings into coffins to take with them because they didn't expect to get 
to be able to come back home. How could that be God's will? I mean, we're, we just got faced with it again. This young John, who was, his life was taken because he was trying to reach some tribe. And that's just insane. Why would you do that? Why would you put yourself at risk? And somehow we've bought into this idea that God's will is for us to arrive safely at death. And that's not God's will for our lives. God's will for our lives is actually kind of outlined in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 16 through 18, but I want to look at like the whole context of this, so verses 11 through 24, because the Apostle Paul actually gives us some fatherly advice. He gives us some do's and don'ts before those verses and after those verses, but these verses in the middle aren't necessarily do's and don'ts, in my opinion. They're actually a way of life that he's trying to anchor us in. And so he tells us, do these things, anchor, do these things. So let's start in verse 12. If you're there, I don't have this on the screen. Oh, maybe I do actually. There we go. So you can either use your Bible or you can use my screen, whichever you like. So dear brothers and sisters. Now, obviously we know he's talking about believers because everyone in the world, it's not our brother and sister. It's those who have believed, put faith in Christ. They become our brothers and sisters in the Lord. Honor those who are your leaders in the Lord's work. They work hard among you and give you spiritual guidance. Show them great respect and wholehearted love because of their work and live peacefully with each other. Now, these two verses right here at the beginning of this closing of the art, this letter, he's, that's what he's doing. He's closing his letter with some advice. Almost like when you close the chapter of your, your life with your children and you send them off to college and as a parent, when you pack them into the dorm room or you pack them if they, as they get married, you stand up and you give them fatherly advice or motherly advice. You're giving them a, maybe a synopsis of everything you've already taught them, but here you go. That's what the Apostle Paul starts with here. And, and I want you to notice these words, honor, respect, and wholehearted love. And you notice that he doesn't give us a qualifier. He doesn't say, honor your leaders that act perfectly and have no flaws. Show love, wholehearted love to your leaders who show you wholehearted love. Notice he doesn't say that, does he? Now, some of you are instantly thinking, well, pastor, that's pretty self-serving of you to teach that. But, you know, I'm not one to cut scriptures out and, you know, say, well, I can't really teach that one because I'm a pastor. But here's the thing, my life and what I do and how I live as a pastor is not determined by how any of you treat me. The same thing goes for me. I don't get to treat you with less wholehearted love because you're not treating me with wholehearted love. That doesn't let me off the hook, but that's what the Apostle Paul is saying. And look how he ends that little section, live peacefully with each other. Here's the thing, peace does not just fall down from heaven upon us. Peace has to be pursued. Peace has to be maintained by the Spirit of God. We have to work at peace. Peace doesn't just happen naturally. If you have peace in your home, you had to work for that. You had to have some difficult conversations. You had to come to a consensus on things. Or you have a false sense of peace. Sometimes we have a false sense of peace in our homes, and we... We pretend that's peace, but then the moment something happens out of kilter, someone starts blowing up, what we had was a false sense of peace. We didn't have an agreement of how we were going to handle that moment. We had, you know, we just didn't deal with it. And so Paul's trying to teach them this idea of relationships, respect, 
honor, love. Make sure you pursue peace with one another. Then in verse 14, he says, brothers and sisters, again, we urge you to warn those who are lazy, encourage those who are timid, take tender care of those who are weak, be patient with everyone. See that no one pays back evil for evil, but always try to do good to each other and to all people. I love that. Always try to do good to each other and all people. Not just each other, but all people. Not just the good people, but all people. Why? Because that's the character of God. And anything less than that shows that we're not doing the character of God. Don't pay back evil for evil, but overcome evil with good. And this may require that we correct people, that we warn them, that we do things that, I just would rather not do that. I mean, how many of you are honest that you really don't like to correct people? I mean, maybe you do, (laughs) but we don't, we just, well, it's none of my business. Here's what, in the body of Christ, it is our business. We are each other's business. Amen. We do have to warn each other. We do have to care for each other. We do have to fight for relationship with one another. But look what he he gives us some qualifiers here. Be patient. Do it with gentleness. Don't exasperate them. Don't correct somebody on every little thing you see wrong in their lives. Don't exasperate people. Those who are timid, take care, be patient, work with them, encourage. That's how he's called us to do it. And we don't do it for our good, we do it for their good. A lot of times when we want to warn or correct someone, it's because we don't like what they're doing because what they're doing is messing up our lives, so I'm going to correct that so it doesn't mess up my life anymore. Sure, it's quiet today. Maybe this isn't you at all. Maybe this is just me. But Paul says, take care, do these things, work with each other, grow together. Then, verses 16 through 18, we're going to come back here. Always be joyful, never stop praying, be thankful in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you who belong to Christ Jesus. We're going to come back there in just a moment, so let's keep going. Verse 19, do not stifle the Holy Spirit, do not scoff at prophecies, but test everything that is said, hold on to what is good, and stay away from every kind of evil. Again, would be a lot easier to just avoid these messy gifts of the Spirit, because sometimes when people give gifts of the Spirit in the service, it really makes things crazy. So let's just have a nice church where everyone's happy and nothing weird ever happens, but it completely void of the Spirit's power to change anyone's life. But hey, at least people like coming. It's interesting that the worst church on record for the gifts of the Spirit was the Corinthian church. And Paul writes three chapters to try to correct what they're doing. And at the end of it, he says, don't forbid speaking in tongues. Don't forbid it. In other words, don't throw the baby out with the bathwater just because there's some. But it's easier in life to just stop doing it altogether than to try to correct it. It's easier to stop trying to warn and correct other people. It's easier to just avoid them and just pretend like everything's okay. Hey, how's it going? Yep, good. Okay, good. Mm, Good. Okay, great. See you next Sunday. It's easier to live like this, but it's not what God calls good. And it doesn't represent him to the world around. And then the last part of this, verses 23 and 24, now may the God of peace make you holy in every way, 
And may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless until the Lord Jesus Christ comes again. God will make this happen. For he who calls you is faithful. Look at who makes us holy. You don't make yourself holy. God makes you holy. You don't bring all of this to path. Pass. God will make this happen. Now, this doesn't nullify our responsibility to respond to the Spirit or be obedient to the Spirit, but you know what it does? It gives God the heavy lifting, and it helps us to just learn to be dependent upon Him. See, I don't have to make you do anything. All I have to do is be obedient to what He's told me to do, and then I have to put it all on Him. It also helps me to, to not be overwhelmed by guilt and by condemnation. I look at this list, and I think, man, I really don't live that way. I really make a lot of mistakes. And I could easily slip into this guilt and condemnation and be overwhelmed. But I don't have to because God makes it happen, not me. Also, it keeps me from pride. I don't get to look at my life and say, you know, I'm doing pretty good. I mean, I got most of the stuff on that list. No, because it's God that makes it happen, not me. It's interesting to me how this passage of Scripture from 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 really parallels the one we just finished studying in Philippians chapter 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So all of the things that we learned as we studied Philippians chapter 4 would also apply to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 because it really says the same thing. And in Philippians 4, we learned that our problem was not our circumstances. Our problem was the stuff going on inside of us. My circumstance doesn't need to change. The people around me don't necessarily need to change. What needs to change is what's going on in here. And so as we go back to 1 Thessalonians, the, the core part of this passage again, these same words appear. Instead of rejoice, we have joyful. Instead of praying with thanksgiving, we just have never stop praying and be thankful in all circumstances. I want you to notice the words that Paul uses, always, never, all. In other words, completely affecting every part of your life in every moment, in every circumstance. This is how we should be. We should be this. We shouldn't do this. Okay? He doesn't say, I want you to give thanks in all circumstances. He says, I want you to be thankful in all circumstances. This is what we do. We sit around the Thanksgiving table and we all go around and try to think of something we are thankful for. Let's look for something good. Or in, in a hard time in life, we just say, there's gotta be something good. We can, there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with trying to get a perspective and shift our perspective and look at things that are good. But there are going to be times in our lives where we look around and there is absolutely nothing we can see with our natural eyes that we could actually give thanks for. Sort of like Job, when Job was wrestling with that. And look at what he says. Even though he slay me, yet I will hope in him. Being thankful is about understanding what he's already done for me. 
It, it understands that he's already been kind to me. He's already been good to me. He is good. There's nothing around me that I can see that is good, but it doesn't matter. I am thankful today, not because I have enough to eat. I'm thankful today, not because I have a warm place or I have a wife or I have kids or I have good health. I am thankful today because no matter what happens to me in this life, I know where my eternity is. It's secure in him. And if I don't arrive safely at death, if I am killed by a disease like Elisha, if I suffer some kind of hardship like Job, I can be thankful. Even though I have nothing to give thanks for other than God himself. That's the difference between being thankful. But as Americans, we tend to like to compartmentalize our lives to the point where it's easier to give thanks than it is to be thankful. And Paul says, always be joyful. Always be in a state of prayer, in a state of connection with our Father. And always be thankful, for this is God's will for you. Now, keep in mind all the things that he says around this. Our leaders, well, I can't be joyful or not pray or be thankful because our leaders. Here's the thing. There are no leaders on this planet that got to that position outside of the, the watchful eye of our Father. No president, no dictator, no nothing. It doesn't mean he authored them. It doesn't mean that he wanted them, but he is aware of it. And how we respond to those people doesn't need to change. Or actually does need to change. We can be joyful, even if there's no cause for joy. The apostles left being stripped and beaten joyful that they were able to be persecuted. Now, I don't know that they were singing songs and being like, woo! They were probably in pain. I mean, think about this. They were just beaten. I'm, they were probably limping out, but... You know, Jesus said this would happen to us, guys. Yeah, I know. And even if they kill us, they can't take us from his hand. I doubt they were like jumping and leaping and praising God unless God miraculously healed the wounds that they were just inflicted with. But we read the scripture through this lens as if, you know, everything has to be happy in our lives. It doesn't to be joyful. It has to be secure. And I don't have to react to the negative stuff going on around me or to the negative stuff that people are saying to me or about me or anywhere because I know whom I have believed. And I believe that he is able to guard what I've entrusted to him. Paul, back in Philippians chapter four, said that I, I know the secret. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, living in plenty or in want. I can do all of this through him who gives me strength. That secret, that something that we've talked about was not commonly known or it was unknown before. I mean, think of in the scripture, wide is the road that leads to destruction, but narrow is the road that leads to life. Everybody in America wants a get out of hell free card. Hey, where do I get one of those get out? I just say that prayer and I get out of hell free? Okay, great. But that's not what salvation is. Salvation is an exchange. It realizes that I'm broken and the only way to be fixed is to put my life in the hands of the Almighty and do it His way. It's not about where I go. In fact, salvation, if you realize, is not even about heaven. This is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God in Jesus Christ whom you've sent. Some people think they're going to spend their eternity in heaven. They don't even know God. 
They don't spend any time with him here on earth, but they said a prayer once 15 to 20 years ago. They don't do anything the way he's asked them to do, and they don't think about him except when they're in a crisis, and yet they want to spend eternity with him. How do you know? He could be a terrible God. If you haven't read the Bible, you haven't spent time in prayer, you don't know if you want to spend eternity in heaven. Oh, but it's better than the alternative. And we've been deceived. And the reason that many of us don't know what decision to make is because we don't spend time with him. We don't know him. We don't never stop praying. We don't walk through a day. Because it's easier to do devotions than to be devoted. It's easier to give thanks than to be thankful. And God's will for us is to be steady. It's like we're climbing a little bit higher every day. I mean, some of us live life like this. If I feel good, I'm up here. If I feel bad, I'm down here. My emotions dictate or what people have done. My husband yells at me. My wife yells at me. Blah, blah. And the Christian life is more to be like this. It's actually to be like this. Because you're supposed to keep climbing. I mean, and sometimes, I get it. Sometimes we have a bad moment and we're like, boom. But here's the truth is. The truth is you're not down there. The truth is he's kept me right here. All I have to do is acknowledge I messed up. Some of us, it's so hard to acknowledge we messed up. Because you know what? Oh, I didn't mess up. My spouse did it. I didn't mess up. My kids did it. I didn't mess up. The president did it. I didn't mess up. Yeah, you did. And then if you don't acknowledge it, he keeps us here. My behavior doesn't determine where I am. He keeps me there. My salvation depends on him from start to finish. It just acknowledges I've made a mistake. The Apostle Paul is not trying to tell us that life is just going to be a bed of roses and that you know, we should always walk around with a smile on our face. Look at what he says to us in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. We are hard-pressed on every side, but we're not crushed. We're perplexed, but we're not in despair. We're persecuted, but not abandoned. We're struck down, but not destroyed. We do not lose heart, though outwardly we're wasting away. Inwardly, inwardly, we're being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal weight of glory that far outweighs them all. Here, I don't know what you've walked through in life. I don't know what people have done to you. I don't know what you're experiencing. I don't know your situation. But here's what I know. They are light and momentary troubles. Every one of us. They're light and they're momentary. Now, if you fix your eyes on them, they don't become light and momentary. But if you fix your eyes on what is not seen, then they become light and momentary. And you can rejoice always you can never stop praying and you can be thankful in every circumstance always be in that state of well-being always relying upon God I don't know where we got this idea that maturity was my ability to spend less time in prayer and in the word in fact the more mature you get in Christ the more time you spend in prayer and in the word You don't get to the point where you realize, well, okay, now I know all those scriptures, so I don't need to spend time in the word and prayer. I just automatically respond because I know it. I just automatically do it. No, 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 no. The more time you spend with him, the more you realize I can't do this apart from him. 
I don't get to the point after 20 years of serving God that, okay, I used to pray an hour a day. Now I'm down to half hour a day because, you know, I'm doing pretty good. God's really done a work in my life. Everything depends on him. It depends on our connection to him. And it's not even about how much time I spend in a quiet time. It's about how connected I remain to him throughout my entire day. Drawing from him everything that I need. I alluded to a verse of scripture that I want to I want to show you a video here in just a moment. It's a short clip. It doesn't fit our topic. In fact, what he's talking about is relationships. But I hope you'll see how I believe it fits our topic for today. But 2 Peter chapter 1, by his divine power, God has given us everything we need for living a godly life. We've received all of this, watch this, by coming to know him. The one who calls us to himself by means of his marvelous glory and excellence. God's will for us is to know him. To know him. And no matter how many years you have known him, his will for you today is to know him. You have not exhausted who he is. We kind of get it the other way, and we, God, just tell me what to do. He's like, no, I, I want you to know me. See, the people of Israel knew God's acts, Psalm 103, 7, but Moses knew God's ways. And Moses was okay to stay in the desert at the foot of a mountain because that's where God was. But what did the people of Israel want? No, it'd be better for us to go back to Egypt. Do you know how insane that is? Because they were in slavery. They were being beaten. They were, their babies were being thrown into the river. It would be better for you to go where? Moses actually grew up in the palace, and he was okay living in the desert because he knew God's ways. He didn't just know God's acts. And today, at the end of this service, I want, I want to give you some time to just get to know him or to maybe be recalibrated in your heart toward knowing him. But I want you to watch this. This is a great illustration. I was going to do it myself, but I'm nowhere near this funny, so I thought he Second should do Peter it. 1, 3. It says, by his divine power, by God's divine power, God has already given us everything we need. I want you, I want you to see the, those two words. Everything we need for living a godly life. Uh-uh, Pastor Mike, because there's still stuff I'm struggling with. Let me tell you when he gave it to you. When you received all of this by coming to know him. See, Pastor Mike, I got all these people's opinions. I got all this other stuff. How do I get this out? By coming to know him. Before a person, if you get to know the creator, he'll begin to feel all the areas that are filled by people's opinions, attitudes, and relationships. I see some married people. I did not know these steps before I married her. <laughs> Pastor Mike, I'm sitting here and I... I'm stuck. <laughs> see, <laughs> some of y'all laughed too hard. Look straight, look straight. Okay. What I'm saying is, all you have to do to see God 
start to move things that have been in your life out is spend more time with him. How do you do that, Pastor Mike? Through the word, finding out your place, your purpose, your identity, the parameters by prayer, talking to him, letting him talk back to you by accountability in small groups. Hey, we're signing up for these B groups today, not just so we can have friends. We're signing up for these B groups because the Bible tells us this is how we get healed. Like some of us are dealing with real issues and James tells us to confess those things one to another. Pray for each other and that's how you get healing. Some of y'all come up here every Sunday for healing. But if you got a community group, you get healing. You, you get real healing because it's not in me just laying my hands on you. It's in you being able to release that and you seeing God's church, not the organization, but the organisms surround you in love and help you be free. I'm encouraging every person today. I don't like people. I've never signed up for a group. It's not good. Okay. So I dare you to get in a small group because when you allow more God in, can you, can you bring me? Um, that the, the pure water of the Lord. Now, 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 just put that one down. Thank you. So, so this is this is what living water looks like. God, I'm, I'm just gonna start reading my word every day, and it doesn't feel like anything's happening. It doesn't feel like anything changed. It just feels a little juicy on Sundays, but real dry throughout the week. But anything that is worth doing is worth doing continually. And so that's why you have to get the discipline. And you know, there's some point that the things in our life that have been defining us, it starts to be overtaken. See, where my identity was from people, it starts to become defined by God. But what happens when we are better than we used to be and we stop letting God pour into our lives? What we look like is lukewarm. So I can post anything on Insta stories because I don't have my identity. Ooh, y'all heard how quiet that <laughs> And it's my birthday so I can go wild out. And, and, you know, I'm on financial stress so I can drink because this is what I do to release. But God is good. Hey, all the time. And all the time God is good. Hey, and he made a way. Hey, hey, hey. But from afar, what's more visible? From back, I mean, if I was to take somebody to the end of the parking lot and say, what do you see? They may not even know there's anything in here. All they would see is these orange balls. The same way that they see our inconsistencies and our, our being hypocritical and they see our flesh. And what God says, you don't have to feel judged by that. Just keep pouring me over it. Just, just keep coming to church. Just get in the small group. Just, just allow me to overtake you and overrun everything. Now, now watch. This is my favorite part. This, this is my favorite part. 
I said, this is my favorite part. I said, this is my favorite. When the lies come back, they only can stay on the surface. No, see, when, when you're filled up with God, when the enemy comes to lie to you that you're not something and you can't do something and you will never be. I don't care how much I try. They can't, it can't stick. I want you to bow your heads with me this morning. Every one of us in this room is in a different place in our relationship with the Lord. Every one of us has different battles that we're facing in our lives. And here's the thing. The, all of us, the will of God is for us to always be joyful. To never stop praying and to be thankful in all circumstances. That's his ultimate will for our lives. It's to respond to the people in our lives, to the situations around us, with a strength that comes from the inner man. And there are no shortcuts to how to develop that. The way we develop it is by spending time in the word, by spending time in prayer, by attending worship services, by being in a small group, all of these things. And for each one of us, there's a different place where we resist what God's saying. Why did I read all of the context? Because all of the context to that shows us that there's just different stuff that we struggle with. And we tend to look at the stuff we struggle with and think it's not as bad as the stuff that other people struggle with, but it doesn't matter whose stuff is worse. It's whether or not my stuff is actually keeping me from knowing him. And he, he's not angry at me. He's not. In fact, he already knows my stuff. I'm the one that doesn't want to admit my stuff. He knows it all. And God always brings us back to that greatest point of resistance. And so I want to take time at the end of this service, and I want us to really just wait on him and let him speak. I mean, there, there's stuff in your life, and there's stuff in my life, just like those orange balls, that they're filling our lives. And sometimes it's hurts and sometimes it's offenses and sometimes it's mistreatment and sometimes it's hardship and it's just the difficulty we're going through. It's loneliness, it's anxiety, it's fear, it's sin. Maybe there's some type of struggle in your life that you just can't get out. And here's the thing. I don't know the answer necessarily to the question that, that you have today, but I do know the answer. And if you pursue him, and you let him fill you up. You let him fill you up over and over and over again. It'll crowd those things out. See, Jesus warned us that when we have the word of God implanted into our hearts, that things in our lives like hardship can actually choke out the fruitfulness of that word. So in other words, the things that I've told you today, there's a strength inside of you to always rejoice, to never stop praying, and to be thankful in all circumstances. That's in you already. It's already been given to you, um, everything you need for life and godliness. It's already in you. It's in you because of your relationship with Christ. The question is, are you going to endure hardship as discipline so that you can grow in that? Or are you going to let the hardship take away the fruitfulness of the word?
So when you go out this week and you face hardship, are you going to find strength in the Lord? Are you going to endure that in the Lord so that this word today produces fruit in your life? Or are you going to blame it on the hardship? Are you going to walk away from the word, the fruitfulness of it, because of the hardship? Also, this word can be choked out by the cares of life, the busyness of life. There's, all, there's, there's stuff. I need to spend time with God. I need to never stop praying. There's Netflix, there's sports, there's activities, there's all these things. And here's the thing. There's no shortcut to this. There's no shortcut to this. You want to strengthen yourself in the Lord. There's the prescription. You've got to be with the Lord and let him fill you up. And I've got a song that I'm going to play in just a moment on a video that I want us to just take time at the end of the service. And I'm just going to, in a moment, I'm going to pray a blessing over you. I didn't want any music during this part. I just want you to, to process. And that's how we're going to close the service today. I want you to process this. I want you to say, Holy Spirit, uh, what is it? What are, those or what are the orange balls in my life? What do you need to pour over today? What needs to be crowded out of my life? What have I allowed to creep in to the excuses that I've allowed to fill my life, the, the things that people have said or done, the things that have been done to me? I, I want to be joyful. I want to rely upon you. I want to be thankful. I want to be those things. So I need you to just pour onto me. Because here's the thing. I've given you some information today, the best that I could, but I can't transform your heart. Only he can. And I hope by just taking a moment at the end of this service and beginning to ask him, beginning to say, God, pour into my life in a fresh way. I just need a touch. Would you be honest enough to say, I just need, God, I need a touch. I need you in my life in a fresh way. Would you be honest enough to take a few moments and come and kneel at an altar and say, God, I need your touch. I don't just need your touch at youth convention when there's a band playing. I don't just need your touch in, you know, when the emotions are high. But in this moment, I recognize in order to get this stuff out of my life, I need your touch. I need, in order to deal with things that I haven't dealt with, I need your touch. I need you to pour into me today. And that's the opportunity I'm going to give you. So I want you to stand. And I'm going to pray a prayer blessing over you. And when I pray, we're going to start a video that I'm going to play with for you. Our prayer team, I want you to come. I want you to be here in the front. Meet with me here. If you need someone to pray with you, we're here. But if you just want to spend some time with him, whether it's at your seat, whether it's here at the front, here's what I feel like we need to spend time with him. This isn't a magic moment. If this is the only time you spend with him throughout the week, you're in trouble. But this is a good place to start because the moment you walk out that door, everything that has been planted in your heart could either be stolen away by the enemy, choked out by the hardships or the cares and the anxieties of life. Take a moment and let him pour some water on the word today and show you what needs to change. Here's what I guarantee you. Every one of us in this room needs to change. There's something in our lives the Holy Spirit wants to speak to. And if you'll give him time, he'll do that. And so, Father, we invite you to have your way in our lives right now.
Holy Spirit, we invite you to fill every part of our lives. We want to be continuously filled with you. We want to respond to the situations that are happening around us. God, we want to always be joyful. We want to never stop praying. We want to be connected to you, God, every moment of every day. We don't want to just have a devotion time, God. We want to be fully devoted to you in every part of our lives, in every area of our lives. We trust you. God, we don't want the words we trust you to be what we say. We want it to be what we do. We trust you. God, we want to be thankful. Even when it doesn't look like there's one thing in our lives that we can be thankful for, we want to be thankful because we know that we're in your hand. God, that you are in control of our lives, that you are sovereign, that you are, that there's nothing that can take us away from you. There's nothing that can separate us from you. So Holy Spirit, over these last few moments as we're in this room together, I just ask that you would pour over our lives today. Pour over our lives today. Fill us up, we pray in Jesus' name. If the Holy Spirit has spoken anything to your heart today, I want you to respond. Nothing magical about this front, but I felt all week like you need to respond. If there's something in your life that you've been battling, you've been trying to get, just come, ask him, Lord, fill me up, fill me up. Fill me up. I need this, these orange balls, whatever they represent for me. Fill me up. Fill me up. Fill me up. Fill me up. Just take a few moments. God, fill me up. Fill me up. Crowd out the things in my life that separate me from you. Fill me up. Fill me up. You can sing along, you can worship. If you need to be dismissed, if you've got a place you need to be, I don't want to keep you from that. If you need to be dismissed, just slip out quietly. Let this be a place of prayer and worship for those that just want to remain for a few more moments. Let's make this our prayers we leave today. God, fill us up. Fill us up.